Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. New year, new tennis season, and it feels like we could be in for something really special. Will Djokovic defend his Australian title? Will Andy Murray make it two slams in a row? And why didn't he receive a knighthood? All that argued over in this edition, and we'll be talking to the British number one, Heather Watson, right here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, happy new year, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We're almost, we're almost in 2013. It is currently December the 29th, where I am in the UK. It is currently December the 30th, I think, where Catherine Whitaker is in Australia. One of the most exciting tennis seasons in years is behind us. We've had an off-season that seems to have gone on forever, but the good news is that it's over now, and the new tennis season and today's events in Brisbane, Australia, Chennai in India, Doha, Qatar, and the Hopman Cup in Perth, they're all underway, and we'll be previewing those events on this edition of the Tennis Podcast, generally looking ahead, and we'll be talking about Rafa found the Dow who will miss another Grand Slam tournament. We'll talk about one of the contentious points in the UK at the moment, that of the honours announced in the New Year's list very recently. Andy Murray is to get an OBE, but should he have been knighted? Should he be Sir Andy Murray? We'll also have an exclusive interview with Britain's number one player, in the women's game, that's Heather Watson. If you're listening to the Tennis Podcast for the first time, my name is David Law. I've worked in tennis for the best part of two decades, and in the absence of being actually able to play the game to any respectable level, I talk about it a lot. Uh, including on the radio for BBC Radio 5 Live in the UK, which is where I will be broadcasting from Australia in about a week and a half's time uh, uh, when we get down to Melbourne. But I'm joined, as I said, by Catherine Whitaker, who's worked in tennis for the past five years. She travels the world with legends of the sport on the ATB Champions Tour and is already lucky enough to be in Australia ahead of the first Grand Slam tournament of the year. Catherine, describe the weather. Make me sick. It's 7.30 in the morning and it's about... Well, let's just say I've already got the fan on. I think that says it all. Dear, oh dear. At the same time as we've just had the wettest month on record since records began here in the UK, and you've been sunning yourself for the past two weeks. Yeah, it's lucky you can't see smugness over the radio, isn't it? I can, I can feel it. I can sense it. The listeners here on the Tennis Podcast, we can, we can hear every, every bit of smugness coming through the, uh, the iPods and the iPads and wherever you're listening out there. But uh, 
is it hot out there how hot is it yeah it it is it is i'm not going to be a brit and complain about how hot it is but it is searing heat it is uh, i'm in i'm in the queensland sun at the moment in brisbane and it is absolutely uh steaming hot and it's only early in the morning there isn't it crack of dawn crack of dawn yeah but the people get up early and go to bed early here because you've got it sunrise is about four thirty, so uh yeah i can't say i'm getting up with with the sun but uh it's a slightly sunburned? different way of life yeah let's not talk about sunburn oh yeah oh it's a sore point <laughs> oh yeah very good I didn't even it's, plan that. It's sev- but I tell you, you it's could, several I could have written sore that, points, David. Yes, it, uh, it sounds like it. Well, the tennis season is upon us. Happy to say again, a lot's happened, hasn't it? My goodness, we haven't had any tennis going on, and yet so much has happened. And what a disappointment. Let's get it out of the way right at the start here, Catherine. Rafael Nadal, you know, we saw the pictures of him training. We knew that he was on his way out to Abu Dhabi. He did big interviews with uh, with certain journalists. I read one in the Times with Neil Harmon. He was really looking forward to coming back. I think he, he wasn't expecting too much of himself, but he didn't expect to have to pull out ahead of the Australian Open uh, because of a stomach virus. What a shame. Absolutely a shame. I'm interested to know your thoughts on this because, I mean... Three, three weeks ahead of a, a Grand Slam is is a stomach virus. The fact that he, the the exact quote isn't it that is that he says the stomach virus is is hampering his recovery uh, from his knee problems, um, which suggests that he. I, I thought you know the fact that he was coming back meant that he was pretty much feeling a hundred percent fit. I I thought that he wouldn't attempt to come back unless he was feeling like he could compete at the very top again but the fact that you know stomach virus is enough um still to to upset his recovery suggests to me that you know the knees are still a fairly grave issue for him i'm not i'm not sure i mean i i know what you mean um i mean maybe maybe they are but i mean Anybody who's had a stomach virus knows how debilitating that can be. I know that I know that I've been put in hospital by one in the past and and it can it's not just the sort of the acute nature of it on a temporary basis it's also what it takes out of you and you have to put back into your your system to get fully hydrated again all that kind of thing. My my suspicion is that you know he he's a sort of player who needs to prepare for an event for a, a grand slam title he needs tournaments he needs to play a lot of tennis and he'd got that that run of abu dhabi followed by doha and qatar who knows he might have even played an exhibition match or two in the week before the australian open he wasn't going to get any of that because of this virus and i suspect he thought to himself you know if i go to the, to melbourne now on the on the back of this preparation I'm probably going to get beaten by somebody who shouldn't be tying my shoes, you know, and and I I don't think he wants to do that. I think that that would reduce his aura in tennis if he got beaten again a little bit like he did by Lucas Rossell. I know that was a spectacular performance, but if he got done by somebody that normally just wouldn't wouldn't share the same court with him. I to think any I think degree. you're right. I think you're right. However, you know why he still had two and a half weeks in hand, didn't he? Why why not give yourself just just a week just to see, you know, how the stomach virus plays out, you know, why do the knee jerk thing of pulling out of, of of you know one of the four biggest events of the year 
still with with three weeks to go well i th- i think that that he knew i think he knew in his heart of hearts that he wasn't going to be competitive um and he wasn't going to contend for the title and I suppose my my one surprise in that regard is that I thought uh, that that his first major appearance back he would probably use it as just a yardstick to test himself to nah, get match fit. I don't think and, that. Uh, I disagree completely. I think when he comes back, well, he did it in two thousand and nine when he uh, when he played the O two Arena Finals mm, and he lost all yeah, three but that's matches not a grand and then he slam. came out. I think if he's coming back for a Grand Slam. At the the point you made, in fact, he's not going to allow himself to to be beaten by someone not fit to touch. Well, you've answered your own question, then, haven't you? That's why he's not. I have. Back. I just don't understand why. You know, he had nothing to lose just by giving it an extra week. Um, you know, to just see how the stomach virus plays out. To, to immediately pull out the slam suggested that he perhaps had doubts about his readiness to return even before the stomach virus. I'm not doubting the the severity of 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 what a stomach virus can do to you and I'm now you know I've looked foolish everyone's looked foolish before by second guessing what's coming out of the Nadal camp because basically you just you just don't know you don't get very much information and and it very much is that second guessing but I just have my worries that his knees aren't up to hard courts anymore and he is thinking you know what, clay and grass is is my best bet now for slams in the future. Well, and, I have uh, to say, you're not, you're, not a, you're not alone in that viewpoint, uh, in as much as um, my colleague at BBC Radio 5 Live, Jonathan Over, and the tennis correspondent there, did a report last night in which he, he revealed the news uh, when, it was, when it was announced by uh, Nadal's PR team, Benito Perez Barbadillo, who uh, looks after Rafael Nadal's um, public relations. And, and Jonathan said on 5 Live in the, in the sports desk, there have to be question marks now over whether Nadal will ever play the Australian Open again because if the knees are as are the problem again, if they have flared up, if he isn't sure of them on, on hard courts, will he ever be sure of them on hard courts? That that was the point that Jonathan was making. He you know, he's not saying he won't, but he's saying that there are question marks uh, over it. Well I, I think have to that's say that exactly the that point. Hadn't I'm occurred to me, as well. but, hmm. That you know, again, I'm not saying definitely. Oh, he's never going to play, uh, never going to play on hard courts again. But there is no doubt that hard hard courts have have you know different order of magnitude in terms of of the the stress they put on on the body and in particular the knees. And um, you know, if he's if he's adding up, you know, how many more matches he's he's got left in him, it's a it's a darn sight more if those matches are played on clay and grass. Than uh, than if they're they're play you know fifty percent of the the season I suppose is played on hard courts the problem then will be you know keeping his ranking up and all of that kind of thing but I definitely think that is a there is a question mark there I would agree with Jonathan over well he's he's due to to come back out and play um, in February in the the clay court tournaments in South America which I think is is a very sensible choice mm. much I actually. If I if I were a Nadal fan, I mean, I think we're all Nadal fans to some degree. But I think his 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 intense followers and his, and his own team, I think, will be more comfortable um, seeing him come out for the first time on clay in South America, probably against players that you know he, he's fairly confident he can live with, even if not not 100% f- sort of match fit. 
you know, where it doesn't matter quite so much. Um, he can go out there, he can get used to it again, then he can get onto the hard courts in, in America, in, in Indian Wells and Miami if he's up to it. Yes, I, I would imagine that that's, that's exactly the plan at the, at the moment. Um, I, I would love to see him win some more slams and, and I, I can't help feeling that, you know, seeing him on, on the hard courts is... Uh, is going to be not nerve-wracking, but um... well, it'd have to be, wouldn't it? I don't, I don't care what 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 he's done before. The, the problems have tended to rear their heads on uh, on hard courts. It is that sort of unforgiving surface. And and hearing Andy Murray talk about it a couple of days ago, you know, following that U.S. Open final that he won, I, I saw the interview he gave to Sky after that, and. You know, he was making the point of just how much it it, it takes out of mm. your body, and how how he, he you know one of his toenails had come off mm. during the match. It was so, he was it was so battering his his limbs and his joints, and uh, you know it, it is unpleasant. But uh, we can only hope that Rafael Nadal will make a full recovery and that he'll be out there playing again very soon, because the sport of tennis misses him greatly. Absolutely. On, However, on that on that toenail point, by the way, I don't know whether I've already revealed this on the tennis podcast, but I was. I don't like the way this is going. <laughs> what are you going to say? Well, f- I remember walking past the uh, the men's locker rooms after the uh, the door was open. I wasn't loitering, or, or, or you know, it was totally. Well, legitimate. after the last tennis podcast, in which uh, you ended up with Andrew Castle and and the, the yeah, rest of the, I know. the players, I don't want to get a reputation. It was a nonsense. totally legitimate, inadvertent glance into the men's locker rooms in uh, yep. in Australia. Australia following the men's finals I saw uh, Rafa removing his shoes and uh, this is his, last year yes his uh, his socks were drenched in blood it was quite a Ooh. sight yeah Ooh. It was, that's not nice no, is it? it was an arresting sight if, yes. so if anything's okay. testament to the effort uh, that goes we'll in. have to put a warning on this podcast uh, that it's not for the faint-hearted <laughs> Goodness me! Well, the uh, the tennis season uh, has uh, or is about to begin, or it has begun. We've been um, having some matches today. I've been following the qualifying tournaments. It's quite interesting seeing which players have, uh, have fallen by the wayside a little bit, and the rankings have gone down, and they've ended up in qualifying for tournaments. People like Ivo Karlovic, I saw, was in uh, qualifying for one of the uh, the tournaments this week. Ryan Harris and the American is in Brisbane qualifying. Um, so there's a uh, there's everybody starting out there, uh, and, and you know the new year hasn't even begun yet, uh, but the tennis season has. It's it's uh, what's it like out there in Brisbane, Catherine? Do they make a do they make a fuss of it having uh, the first tournament of the year or one of the first tournaments in the year of the year out there in Brisbane? They certainly do. Yeah, it's brilliant to see. Actually, I'm not saying that tennis doesn't get the the coverage it deserves in the UK when. Uh, when British tennis season comes around, but uh, you know, I've got a, I've got the local Queensland paper next to me, and tennis is on the front and back page, and not solely stories about you know Tomich or Stoza. You know, Serena Williams is on the front page, Caroline Wozniacki's on the back page. I can't say I'm particularly um, delighted by that story because it is a rather trashy speculation about whether she might be engaged to uh, a certain golfer. But anyway, tennis oh, is. Oh, is she? Well, she is wearing a ring, which in modern society is obviously a definite sign that you're engaged, even though you're only 20 and you've been going out with somebody for six months or whatever. But obviously, yes, that's what all the papers are saying. Wow. Yeah. 
Isn't it? Isn't it fascinating? Isn't uh, it? You'll have just... to send me a scan of that one. Oh, this podcast has uh... taken a trashy turn. I shouldn't even have yeah. mentioned it. <laughs> uh, uh, Andy Murray starts uh, out there in Brisbane. His uh, his first match of the year will be there. Uh, of course, I think he won the tournament there last year, didn't he? He did. Um, and uh, Ser- they've got a heck of a women's draw out there as well. Yeah, Serena, you mentioned Caroline Wozniacki, and I think Victoria Azarenka's yeah. there. Sharapova's there. It's it's a fantastic field. I can see why they're going great guns with uh, covering it in the papers because it really is star-studded and. I'm on the WTA website now, and they've got pictures of them all out at the local koala sanctuary, cuddling a koala, something I did Which a, is where you only were, wasn't a it? week and a half ago, yes. Oh, did, you, did you make any friends, any koalas? Oh, yeah. I was, of, you know, I, was, I was close with a couple of koalas. They're very, uh, they're very amiable creatures. Good companions. Exactly. Indeed. They don't say a lot, do they? <laughs> they just sort of, you know sit there anyway uh, enough about koalas let's talk about Andy Murray and the fact that uh, the New Year's honours list has been announced here in the UK and it has whipped up a bit of a storm mostly by me trying to incite people on Twitter I should should add uh, but uh, yeah basically he's been awarded uh, an OBE which uh, is slightly a lesser uh, gong than a knighthood which has been awarded to Sir Bradley Wiggins, the uh, the cyclist who uh, won the Tour de France and then won Olympic gold as well. And the big question is why Andy Murray, as Nick Bollettieri said on the uh, on the tennis documentary Andy Murray History Boy on Five Live a couple of nights ago, he ended that wonderful documentary. And if you haven't heard it, do go on the iPlayer on the BBC website and listen to that back. It's an hour long show and it is a joy to behold. It's also podcastable as well. And and he said, you know. The 2012 will always be the year of Wiggins, Ennis, Jessica Ennis, of Mo Farah, of uh, Ellie Simmons, uh, and of David Weir. However, ask yourselves this. How many Olympic gold medals have you seen British athletes won? Now think, how many British men... Have you seen win a Grand Slam tennis title? That's what I thought. But is that all the the argument comes down to? I certainly don't think so. Come on then. Are you ready, for me, are you ready for me to launch into my views? Come on, get on with it then, because the Twitter the Twitter followers on the tennis podcast have been having their say. Let's hear what Catherine Witter's Whitaker's got to say. Andy Murray should be knighted because his achievements are just as impressive as Bradley Wiggins. Discuss. Well, first of all, I don't disagree that his achievements are just as impressive as Bradley Wiggins. I think Bradley Wiggins' achievements are astonishing, but I also think Andy Murray's achievements are astonishing. Um, I think they're equivalent achievements. That said, I don't think a knighthood is purely... Uh, based on achievement I think it is about being an ambassador for your country and I'm not saying Andy Murray isn't or won't be in the future a great ambassador for his country but um, can you honestly tell me they would have to introduce him onto the court as Sir Andy Murray can you honestly tell me me. that sounds right he's 25 for God's sake he's 25 years old he will get he will go on to another slams and he will get a knighthood in due course i guarantee you that oh it'd be so good though i'd like i'd be able to start every interview i did with him with so sir andy how did you feel the match went no 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 he's 20 and and another point i have which i think actually is a greater point uh a sort of a, a wider point is that i hope it's better than your first one 
is that a knighthood I, I it's not that i don't respect the institution of of honors because i absolutely do however for people like bradley wiggins and andy murray it, it's almost like this is a similar argument i used with a with a gold medal um olympic the Olymp- inclusion of tennis uh, in the olympics a knighthood it wouldn't be the the crowning achievement of of bradley wiggins career a knighthood doesn't add anything that having won the Tour de France and countless gold medals doesn't already give him. It doesn't. Best- I don't think it bestows anything greater. He wouldn't swap it for his Tour de France title. Andy Murray wouldn't swap his knighthood. You know, he's already receiving that recognition. In my eyes, him being Sir Andy Murray wouldn't make me recognise his greatness any more than the fact that he's a US Open champion and gold medalist does. That's what bestows greatness upon him in my eyes, not that he would have a, a sir in front of his name. Blimey, she's been thinking about that. Catherine Whitaker has spoken well. I think it's very interesting. I mean, you know, let's just get a couple of views from, uh, from our followers on Twitter because this has been uh, dividing opinion uh, just as much as you hear. It has been dividing the opinion of Catherine Whitaker and myself, although I have to say I haven't actually given my real opinion yet. I'll do that in a minute. Easily uh, I just like winding... David. I enjoy Catherine winding Catherine up. Uh, however, so we, we have a we have a view here uh, on Twitter from Ian G, who's been getting very worked up about this, and has said, "Murray snob, it's a disgrace, it's appalling." Relative to Wiggins, the face of a team sport, Murray's achievement is far greater. We've had Keith Ryan, who said, "To win a Slam in an era where Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer are at their best outweighs all the rest put together." Well, I, I, I don't. I it. don't disagree. I think achievement-wise, if it is based purely on achievement, then uh, absolutely. But can you say it's honestly based purely on achievement? I don't think so. I mean, unfortunately, the the process of of how honours are awarded isn't transparent. So we, you know, there's not specific guidelines that we can look at as to you know how they how they make the decisions. But it, it we you cannot deny that it is not purely achievement based. So I, I think that negates those arguments. Although I agree with their points, I I think there's more to it than that. I've got another one here who says, Can't believe Andy only got an OBE. First British man in 76 years to win a Grand Slam title. And he doesn't get better than an OBE. David Beckham doesn't have a knighthood yet. He will. One day What's David Beckham ever won? But it's not. It's about being a statesman and an ambassador, which David Beckham has been to the, to the extreme for this country, you would, I would say, in sport. Um, and he will get one in due course. It just hasn't felt appropriate for him to be Sir David Beckham. And I, who, I certainly don't is, think... Who is and although to, it sounds very unscientific to say it just doesn't sound right, Sir Andy Murray, yeah, I think, I think that, the process is quite unscientific, frankly. So basically what they're meant to do is, that they've, they've, first of all, they've got to win a, a Grand Slam title, then they've got to win Olympic gold, and then they've got to go to Catherine Whitaker and say, oh, is it appropriate yet? But, but hang on, I, I'm only sort of playing the game of the people that give out the honours, as I say, which is is say that it is quite an unscientific process i mean paul mccartney waited donkey's years for one didn't he you saying in 1968 he hadn't achieved enough in the world of music to be a knight yes he had but he had to wait till i can't remember when he got one but he had to wait donkey. i think a lot of it is also about longevity you know you don't give these things out willy-nilly bradley wiggins is one 
gold medals at, at is it two or three different I think it's just two different Olympics but he's been plugging away for for a good long while there give it some time for God's sake there's more to it than just <laughs> achievement uh, and, and I'm not pretty... diminishing the achievement at all because I think it is the if not just equivalent to to Wigo's achievement that then I'm not going to say greater because I have ultimate respect for Bradley Wiggins achievement but absolutely on a par I'm not I'm not tossing aside that argument at all well, you'll be pleased to know, Catherine, you have, fe- you have plenty of supporters here because Craig Gabriel, our, co- our colleague uh, from the Australian media, says, give me a break. Murray snub? Where's the snub? He's got a gong. Only Brits see it as a snub. Uh, we have uh, Dave who says uh, Wiggins was a CBE already. Murray wasn't, mm-hmm. so there's no need for him to be knighted. There's a process involved. Ryan Paisy says Murray needs to win more than one major and a gold medal to be knighted. It's a Simple as that. Caroline says, better to wait until he's finished with his career. Better to wait until he's retired to give him a a, a knighthood. Andrew Kokoran says, it's too busy a year for knighthoods to give one to Andy. Make him a sir sir when he's won Wimbledon. Uh, Matthew Lundy says, I think. Matthew Lumby says, no, not yet, but with more slams, he will fully deserve a knighted by the end of his career. And Rian says, I think they're anticipating, hoping more achievements for him in his career. He'll get knighted one day. So I have to say, Catherine, uh, the uh, the people are with you by and large. And, and we'll just finish uh, from the Twitter correspondences with uh, Neil Harmon, our correspondent uh, from the Times, our colleague who we interviewed in episode 14, who, uh, when I when I asked him about what he thought, he said he remembers Andy saying when he won the US Open in New York that I think a knighthood would be a little rash. And uh, Neil would agree with that. And uh, and so I think you have uh, you have most of the people on your side, Catherine. You, you've managed to to navigate this discussion without revealing your uh, your thoughts on okay. it. Okay, I've laid All myself right. well, here's, pretty here's bare. What I think, I think Here, when it here's comes what to I think. Issue. Here's what I think. I mean, I, I honestly think that that um, these things should be given out when people retire. Uh, I don't think that they should be given for sports people during their competitive playing careers. I think it should be about a body of work I think it should be about longevity and you know as somebody put out one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. On uh, Twitter last night, if we give Andy Murray a knighthood now, what, when he wins Wimbledon, are we going to make him a king? Well, it, you know, uh, it's a very good point, I think. Where, where do you go with it? Uh, and, I, and I do think that, uh, that, that really you should, you should look at the, the whole career um, and, and do it that way myself. And, and, and another thing, I don't think Andy Murray's sitting at home in Miami or Scotland. No, he's in Abu Dhabi, isn't he? I don't think he's sitting there thinking, oh, God, I didn't get a knighthood. I think he's thinking, right, fine. I'm a, I'm a Grand Slam champion. That that's what matters to me. Not so, I do not want to disrespect the institution because I do have respect for it. However, I think he uh, I think being a Grand Slam champion is is what's important to him, not whether he has a a sir in front of his name. Which I and I also think that perhaps he would be a bit uncomfortable with being introduced onto court. Imagine imagine the announcers at Wimbledon saying, please welcome onto court Roger Federer and Sir Andy Murray. That's a, that, you know, come on. Sounds quite funny. <laughs> I've got to enjoy that. But no, I think you're absolutely right. I, 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 don't, I don't think you'd be comfortable with it in the slightest, to be yeah. honest. Um, but there we are. I, I enjoyed the debate. And uh, thank you all for your twitter messages and and do keep them coming on any subject that we discuss anything that occurs to you in tennis at all we're we're, we're up for it uh, to have a discussion here on the tennis podcast and we'll uh, we'll put them out there well that just about puts to bed the uh, the andy murray knighted or, or obe saga and i think pretty much we're all agreed that, uh, that, that the right decision has been made i think it's time to find out whether we can win knighthoods of our own by being the greatest predictors in the world uh, i'm not really some who's got the greatest track record as we know Uh, but we're going to try and pick all four Grand Slam title winners right here, right now for 2013 on the men's and women's side. Australian Open, Catherine what you got? Uh, Well I can't really deviate from what I said in our end of year podcast, can I? So Andy Murray. And on the women's side? On the women's side, Serena. Yeah, I got exactly the same, as I also revealed on the uh, the end-of-year podcast uh, in 2012. For the French Open, I'll go first. I've got uh, Novak Djokovic winning the title, and I've got Victoria Azarenka winning the women's title. How about you? Oh, I've got exactly the same. No. Oh, you're so boring. <laughs> you've, you've hacked my computer it's again. It's usually you that does this. You always say ladies well, first, and then mysteriously have the first same answers. That's why I Do you know what? I want to Maybe... remove any doubt. Shall I mix it up a bit and go for Sam Stozer? No, no. No? 
All right. Well, you can you can you can just put in that little more sort of of info to us. No, it's it's so there now. It's on record. I mentioned Sam Stozer. Yeah. Therefore, if All either right. Azarenka or Stozer win, I now get credit. No, what it actually does is it dilutes <laughs> your victory on Azarenka, and I win. Uh, mm. Therefore, because I've gone a hundred percent with Azarenka. Actually, funnily enough, I did put Stosa down first and then crossed her out. Oh, uh, that's right. Wi- Wimbledon. Oh, I've got Andy Murray. And and on the women's Serena. Oh, this is getting ridiculous. I've got the same. <laughs> no. I mean, dear oh dear, we're we're not the same people. Honestly, <laughs> we we are two different people. We are in different countries. I think it's and we time for, for listeners notes. to start running out and putting bets on, isn't it? If we both agree, then it yeah. must be destined to happen. Yeah, go with somebody else for every single <laughs> one of these predictions, and you are in for a winner. Uh, so the U.S. Open, I've gone for Novak Djokovic and Victoria Azarenka. What about you? I've got Novak Djokovic and Maria Sharapova. Ah, okay, Maria, to come back and have a bit of glory. And uh, I asked you before we came on air as well for one outsider, somebody who's going to do something on the men's and women's side this year. Doesn't necessarily have to win a title, but just something to put your neck on the line. Go on. On the men's side, uh, I think I have to say, I'm looking at the rankings and I see that... uh, Bernard Tomic and uh, Grigor Dimitrov are around about the same mark, the 50 mark. And of the two, I'm going to say Grigor Dimitrov. I know it's a broken record and, you know, he's not given us too many reasons uh, to to continue. He is the tennis podcast's own Grigor Dimitrov, though, isn't he? Well, exactly. So I'm going to say him, even though Bernard Tomic is on the back page of the Courier Mail in Queensland saying I'm going to be top 10. I'm still going to pick him. There yes, we go. well, uh, Dimitrov now now coached actually by um, a Swedish group uh, involving, I think, Magnus Norman and Nicholas Kulti, the former players, uh, Michael, who, Michael Tilström as well. Who, um, um, Tom, who Nick, Nicholas Kulti coached Thomas Enquist for many years, and he speaks very highly of him indeed. So, yeah. Um, well, I saw some pictures being posted on Twitter of uh, Dimitrov doing some pretty unpleasant-looking squats with massive weights on his shoulders. So hopefully they're going to beef him up. And oh, I like the sound of that. And um, yeah, so uh, hopefully, hopefully that'll be uh, uh, the coming of age for the tennis podcast's own Grigor Dimitrov, who we interviewed in one of the early episodes. Do go back and listen to the back catalogue and hear all about him. But we're uh, we're huge fans. We swoon every time he plays tennis. But uh, so far, he hasn't managed to to quite live up to uh, the potential. But uh, there's still time. The reason I bring all of this up. Oh, incidentally, my outsiders. Uh, I've gone for one Martin Del Potro. And That's Caroline not an Wozniacki. outsider. No, no way. Am I standing for that? Hold Wait a your minute. Horses, you haven't heard what I've got to say yet. I haven't, isn't, uh, uh, <laughs> this isn't just sort of any random, oh, I think Dimitrov is going to do better than Tomic. This is a specific prediction. You're, Del you're Potra picking, and you think, a Grand Slam well, champion and a former world number one are outsiders. With the current I, top I don't four think as they you are, made the rules yes. of this game clear enough. With the current top four as they are, to break into that group would be a huge shock. And I predict that Del Potra and Wozniacki will both reach a Grand Slam final in 2013. Have that. But uh, Nadal's ranking is going to drop to the extent that actually there is going to be a vacancy in the top four. Um, it's not a vacancy just, to get to a Grand Slam final, though, is it? When you're already a Grand Slam champion. That is not an outside When you've pick, had a, a year and a half off with a wrist say, well, injury and, you, and you've come see, back let, to, to find this lot. Let's invite Twitter opinion about whether your uh, your b- 
being brave enough there with your outside pick, shall we? Oh, come on, come on then, people. Uh, on Twitter, what do you think of my prediction? Do you think I'm just playing it too safe? Who do you think is going to make a bit of a splash in 2013? Well, should I, should I say my brave women's prediction? Just to... Yeah, go on then. I was going to go for Petra Martic, um, which perhaps isn't perhaps is a slight cop out in that I'm saying her because I've heard a few of the guys on the Champions Tour notice her and say, you know, she's got some good stuff going for her. Um, what are you actually predicting for her to do? Just do something, uh, something along the lines of what Laura Robson did um, this year. You know, just to make a bit of a splash. Um, reach, you know, reach fourth round, quarter final of something, get into the top twenty, something like that. I'm not predicting her to win a slam or anything. I'm just predicting her to to make a few waves. Okay, all right, N- nice and sort of vague, so that we can just sort of fit the argument to to to, to make the point. Uh, <laughs> Catherine Whitaker there. Um, <laughs> yes, my point initially was uh, uh, the reason for, for coming out with predictions, uh, not that I usually need a great incentive, uh, was uh, Kieran Vorster, the uh, former coach of Wayne Ferreira and uh, trainer to Tim Henman, said on Twitter recently that he reckons that Andy Murray will win three of the slams this year and uh, Djokovic will win the French Open. So he's picking Murray to win the Australian, Wimbledon and the US Open and for Federer to have a difficult year, relatively speaking. What do you think? I think it's it's not unlikely. As I say, I'm, I'm picking him for two, so um, why it's not three? Shout. It's a big shout. Well, what, it, 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 is he specified what he out. means by a difficult year for Federer? Is simply not winning a slam a difficult year for him? Or are we predicting a drop out of the top four? What, what do we think? Mm, I mean, I can't see him dropping out of the top four. I, I no. still think he'll be in... Probably three of the four semi-finals, I would say, um, or certainly two of them. Um, I could see him getting to another Slam final, um, but I do, th- I do suspect he will probably lose earlier in one of the Slams than we would expect. Um, I'm not, I'm not prepared to go a whole lot further than that, to be honest. But uh, uh, sooner or later, it's, it's, mm. you know, it's got to happen. You would think. I mean, I still think he's a remarkable athlete. I still think his his best level is the best level. But you know, I also think he's a little bit more vulnerable than he used to be. So that's uh, the view on the uh, the tennis circuit. Let's have our interview, shall we, with Heather Watson for you now. Heather joined the world's top 50 at the end of 2012, winning her first title. She burst on the scene a few years earlier than that in the junior tournament at the Australian Open is where I first saw her. And what was immediately clear was that she had a great attitude. I remember in searing heat in Melbourne, she showed great fighting spirit and she eventually won the US Open junior title a couple of years ago. The past couple of years, have seen her make her way in the senior game but despite winning her first title last year she explained that it hadn't been all plain sailing. 2012 for me has been really up and down. Um, The beginning of the year was tough for me. I started with a sprained ankle um, and then it all just kind of went a bit downhill. I, I lost a bit of confidence and wasn't really enjoying playing anymore. Then I found myself and um, things started to get better and I was playing better and then um, I ended up finishing the year as best as I possibly could with a tournament win, Um, my first career title, WTA title, um, and finishing inside the top 50. 
I know you're very into goal setting and target setting. How many of the goals that you set yourself this time last year do you feel that you've achieved? Um, well, two of the goals I set for myself um, for this year was um, to get inside the top 50. I finished number 49 and to win a WTA title, last tournament of the year. So I cut it a bit close, but I still achieved those goals, which I'm really pleased um, uh, because I always set tough goals for myself and um, and I'm so glad that I, I achieved those this year and I'll be setting tougher ones for myself next year. Can you give us an idea of what those goals will be for next year that you'll be setting for yourself? Um, I'll have a ranking target of somewhere around 20 or 30 I think um, and definitely to be making um, the second week of, of any of the slams. And Perhaps you don't look this far ahead, I don't know, but um, what do you think you'll be happy with looking back at the end of your career? What are you setting yourself as sort of an overarching target for your career? Well, throughout my career, I mean, I think every professional tennis player's goal is to get to number one and to win a Grand Slam. So that's my ultimate goal. Um, and that's what I'm working towards. That's my, my dream. And that's why I'm playing tennis every day. So I just love... For, for those to happen in my career. You played the Olympics this year, obviously you were part of Team GB, absolute once in a lifetime opportunity. Talk me through that experience, not only playing at the Olympics, but being part of that team uh, and, and being at the, the Olympic Village and all of that kind of thing. The Olympics were unbelievable. I think it was one of the best experiences of my life, uh, being a part of that, such a huge thing and um, just that, that whole experience. We, we didn't get to stay in the village during um, competition, but we were there for three days um, at the beginning. And it was just so much fun being around and meeting everybody. And actually, when the Olympics finished, I was kind of a little down and sad. And apparently there's something called post-Olympic syndrome. And I had that. <laughs> so that's, that's just how much excitement I'd had during the Olympics and really enjoyed it. Obviously, another highlight at the end of the year was winning your first WTA Tour title. Talk me through that, the experience, the, the pressure you put on yourself perhaps and, and knowing that, that the result there, winning there, would propel you just inside the top 50 and, and reaching your target. Mm, actually, I had no idea that I'd finish inside the top 50. I thought to myself, it's my last tournament, I might as well get as close as I possibly can to my goal. <laughs> and it, it actually worked out for the better. But that, that final was one of the toughest matches I've played in my career. I um, had a match point in the second set to win, win the final in straight sets. And I, I went for it, but ended up double faulting. Um, and then before I knew it, it was the third set and I was 40 love, three match points down. Um, and I thought, I've wasted it, I've, I've ruined my opportunity, um, but let's just try and come back here. And then I win the first point, I win the next point, um, and then I was able to close it out in the third set tiebreak, and it was just one of the best feelings. I know you're a very hard worker off the court, you've got your coach, you've got your fitness trainer, you're very focused. Do you feel that your style of game means that in order to gain that advantage over people, you need to work that bit harder. You know, you need to make sure that the things that are within your control, you work as hard as you possibly can. Yeah, definitely. I think 
Um, a big factor of my game style is my size. I'm not the, the tallest or the biggest of, of the girls, so I have to make up for it in other areas. Um, and I find it exciting. I like not being, not having that advantage because then it makes me want to work harder and, and feel better when I do achieve those things. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to keep doing it and working on my game. There's a lot of people at the top of the women's game at the moment that have been there for a long time. So people like Maria Sharapova, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, they would have been around and at the top of the game when you were a lot younger and just a, a youngster coming up in tennis and I, I guess you looked up to them. What's it like now walking into a, to a locker room and then being there? Do you think you'll ever get used to that or maybe you're used to it already? Um, yeah, it's, I remember one year when I was younger buying a Serena and Venus poster <laughs> to stick on my wall and, um, and being around them. I don't think of it like that anymore. I, it's quite usual for me to see them at the tournaments, but they do have this aura about them. They've been around for a long time. They, they're, you know, the best in the game. And it's, it's nice that I, I get to see them every week and I'm, I'm competing with them. I'm on, on that level to compete with them. Um, you're obviously here to play in the Stato Masters, a special night for you tonight. You're going to play doubles with Tim Hemman. I saw your reaction when you, you saw the, the court for the first time just now. Give me your impressions of the, of the court and how much you're looking forward to playing on it. The court looks absolutely amazing and I think almost every seat's taken. Um, so I'm really looking forward to playing uh, tonight with Tim. It should be, should be interesting and a lot of fun. Do you have any Tim Hemmer memories from when you were younger watching him on the telly? Um, watching him on the telly, yes. Um, when Wimbledon was on, it was, you know, it was it's all about Tim. Um, and he actually came to Guernsey uh, when I was about eight years old and did a little kids' clinic there. And um, that was the first time I met him. And I, I asked him, I, I always ask him, do you, do you remember? And he always says, yes, Heather, I remember. <laughs> you think he's telling the truth? No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it would be nice if he. It, I mean, for me, it's it was a huge part in in my life at that age, meeting Tim Henman, um, and um, now I'm playing doubles with him here. Are you gonna pick his brains a bit about what it's like being a British number one and the obvious pressures that go along with that? Yeah, I'd love to just sit and chat to him and and get some. Get some scoop. Last question. Uh, I heard someone ask you this upstairs, and uh, I'm keen to know your answer. You're obviously part of Team GB. Sports Personality of the Year is coming up. Who do you think will win, or who do you think deserves to win? Two different questions, perhaps. So, my answer for who's going to win the Sports Personality, I think off the year of achievement that they've had, I would go with either Andy Murray or Bradley Wiggins. Um, on sports personality, on how they come across and uh, with the media, I'd probably go, I think, um, that makes Mo Farah and Jess Ennis high contenders. Maybe it could be you one day. Hopefully, yes. I'll put that on my goal list. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Well, there's Heather Watson, and before we discuss what we think of her progress over the last 12 months and her in general, here's the view of a former world number one, Mats Valander, who was speaking about Heather Watson to our colleague David Levy. 
Uh, she, she's ready. She's ready. She's not top 50, but she needs to improve her game. She doesn't need to worry about rankings or winning matches or, or doing well at Wimbledon. And that's the hardest thing for, I think, English girls or British girls or French girls or French guys or British guys. It's, I just want to do well in Wimbledon, which is so wrong. It doesn't give you a chance to work on your game. So I think she needs to um, be as comfortable on the court as she seems to be off the court. I think she has a good chance. Yeah, that's good. And I want to talk specifically here about her game. Yeah. And, and in the nicest possible way. Um, you were someone who, who achieved a huge amount in the game, but without having you know massive weapons on either side sure. or a huge serve. And she's someone who has uh, not a similar style, but she has the same issue in that she doesn't have the serve of Serena, mm-hmm. and she doesn't have ground strokes like Sharapova or, uh, or other top players. So what advice would you give to her about how she can be successful in the game, and, and how does she adapt to, to not having the skills that other players do? Well, that's part of what, I'm, what I mean by uh, her being very comfortable in... in, in uh, um uh, the last time I saw her being comfortable in top 50, being comfortable being the, the best British uh, girl uh, in the rankings or best British woman, is that she needs to have good attitude. Uh, she needs to realize that she needs to improve everything all the time. Uh, it's enough with 1% on the forehand, 1% in the backhand, uh, a couple miles per hour on the serve, and suddenly you're up there and you've improved 10%. Uh, it's hard to say where it's going to come from. Um, I think the women's game have to be going towards uh, the likes of Heather Watson, who, who move extremely well, who have great attitude. The guys' game is there with Djokovic, Mari, Federer and Nadal. Great attitude, great movers, and the women's game usually follows suit. So I think she's playing a game that, that we will be playing in the future on the women's side. Again, she's not going to win many matches for free. She has to have great attitude all the time. Counterpunchers usually have good attitude. Look at Andy Murray, suddenly he's got good attitude, he's a counterpuncher, suddenly he's winning majors. Great, and uh, a realistic aim for her in 2013. You said that rankings don't matter so much and she's just snuck into the World 50, but realistically, what target should she, you think she should set herself, you know, a fourth round, quarterfinal, or...? Yeah, it's really hard to say um, what, what, where she should be. She should set the, the target of, of being able to go into matches having weapons. Um, and that could be just absorbing power from the opponents. Uh, that could be that she's able to hit slice backhands that not many, many of, the, of the women are using. Uh, it could be that she's very, very aggressive tactically and, and mixes up the game. Because if she, if she stays back uh, and just counter punches, she will be out hit today. Um, but, um, I mean, if she has a good draw, there's no reason why she can't make uh, quarterfinals, uh, certainly fourth rounds in, in the Grand Slams. But again, it's more having answers on every surface, every day of the week against any style. Well, I, I get the sense, Catherine, that, that Mats Valander quite likes what he's seeing from, from Heather Watson. And, and as, as David Levy was saying in the interview, that, that there are certain similarities in terms of, of, of the style they have to adopt in order to be successful. It's not going to be like it is for Laura Robson, all about a, a big serve and, and a massive forehand. Heather's got to find other ways to win because she doesn't have an obvious big weapon. Yes. Uh, I think the only thing that will limit um, Heather is her, her stature and, and her game. Attitude-wise, um, uh, fitness-wise, all, 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 all the things that are within her capabilities, I have no uh, question marks over at all. I think she's very impressive in all of those departments. Um, I think she will maximise her potential. It's just a question of, of what her potential is with, with the limitations that, that Dave Levy um, 
that mentions on on her game you know not having a massive weapon yeah well i i think um i'd like to think she can make and certainly at least another step over the next 12 months and and get higher in the rankings I'm, i'm not really sure how high but you know she's a pleasure to be around isn't she she's great to 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 watch in both in her interviews and 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 on the court itself i mean when she plays against these big name players she shows no fear and uh, and I, I really wish her all the best. Absolutely, no fear, but a, a healthy dose of respect. And uh, she just she just loves it. She loves playing tennis. She loves being on the tour, and that is that's such a, a a pleasure to see somebody really appreciating every every facet of it. Um, and yeah, I really do it wish is. her all the best. Yeah. Okay, well, we will follow her her progress with interest. Hope you've enjoyed uh, that interview. Hope you've enjoyed our uh, conversation about uh, Andy Murray and the knighthoods. Let us know what you think. If you've got any more thoughts, if you want to tell me we're talking nonsense, do go right ahead on Twitter. At Tennis Podcast is the, uh, the place to go. Now, before we leave you, a bit of info. If you like top-level grass court tennis, and let's face it, who doesn't? You now have the opportunity to get yourself on the mailing list to enter the official ballots for the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club in June. Andy Murray and many of the best players in the world will be there. To give yourself a chance of buying tickets in the ballot, go to aegonchampionships.com, sign up for the mailing list before it closes on Friday the 18th of January, and the ticket ballot itself will then open to all those on the mailing list on Monday the 21st of January. At that point, you can nominate the tickets you want to go for, and then it's just the luck of the draw. Fingers crossed for you. That's it for this first edition of the Tennis Podcast in 2013. We'll be back next week to preview the event in Sydney and all the other events and look back on Brisbane and Doha and uh, Chennai and get that little bit closer to the Australian Open. I'll be getting out to the heat soon enough uh, for Five Live. I can't wait. Uh, Catherine's already out there. She's got the suntan going and uh, and I'm not going to stand next to her. Fact of 50, David. That's all I'll say. Fact of 50. Is it? That's what I need, is it? Right, okay, right. I'll add another zero to that. Do they do factor 500? Anyway, thank you for joining us this week on the Tennis Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. That's it for the first edition of the new year. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with more tennis chat, another big name tennis interview, and to find out if Catherine or I have changed our minds about Grand Slam predictions after just one week of the year. All that next week on the Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know Cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain. I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.